This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Freestyle Friday is upon us. Always a good time. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, Looking forward to getting a chance to hang out with you. Phone lines are open, 888-900-3393, 9-3. So CPAC is underway, and uh, as you know, and Trump just finished his speech a little while ago. Is it CPAC or is it TPAC? Trump Political Action Conference. Um, so yeah, TPAC. TPAC. I like that, actually. Trump at CPAC. And he gave a speech. It was pretty good. Uh, it was Well, it was, it was classic Trump. I mean, if you don't like Trump, you're not going to like this speech. You're going to think that he was talking about some crazy stuff and you know he does go off onto his own for sure and says things that i think a lot of us wouldn't necessarily if we were the commander-in-chief of the united states wouldn't necessarily go to he did not say take the oil which made me happy because that's one of the only times where i'm just like look we honestly can't we, we can't you know people who go on tv and th- that's kind of a litmus test for me do you go on tv and you say yeah we should invade foreign countries and take their most valuable resource as payment for the invasion because that's not going to cause any problems. Uh, that's that's not going to look good. So, <laughs> but some people do, I think, defend that uh, or at least try to talk around it instead of just saying, "I would rather he not say that." It's not helpful. But he gave a good speech and he did the, the usual Trump thing. He started off with a lot of talk about the media he said that the media is not the enemy of the people just the fake news media play that clip please trump clarifies the media is not the enemy of the people just the fake news media and i want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news it's fake phony fake A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. Because they have no sources, they just make them up when there are none. I saw one story recently where they said nine people have confirmed. There are no nine people. I don't believe there was one or two people. Nine people. And I said, give me a break, because I know the people. I know who they talk to. There were no nine people, but they say nine people. 
and somebody reads it, they think, oh, nine people, they have nine sources. They make up sources. They're very dishonest people. In fact, in covering my comments, the dishonest media did not explain that I called the fake news the enemy of the people, the fake news. They dropped off the word fake. And all of a sudden, the story became the media is the enemy. They take the word fake out. And now I'm saying, oh, no, this is no good. But that's the way they are. So I'm not against the media. I'm not against the press. I don't mind bad stories if I deserve them. And I tell you, I love good stories, but we won't go. <laughs> I don't get too many of them. From a, but from I a pure am, strategy point of oh. view, all right, we, yeah, from a pure strategy point of view, taking a completely openly and consistently oppositional tone to the media really makes sense for a Republican. Uh, when you have the most powerful, wide-reaching media outlets in the country, with one or two exceptions, all in opposition to the president, the president does himself no favors by trying to win their favor, by trying to get uh, on their good side. It's, it's just never going to happen. It's, it'll, be a, it'll always be a fool's errand. And I think that is why Trump, uh, Trump has an understanding here um, that he can just say what he wants to say about the media and it is in fact better for him than trying to placate them because he'll never placate them. They'll never like him. They'll never be friends. They'll never write positive things about him. They may try to encourage him to betray his base. They may give a little bit of a of a respite and even from criticism and even perhaps encourage him for a short while, but it always will eventually turn back into the blinding hatred that they currently have. So I thought Trump gave a good speech. It is also fascinating to watch journalists who, whenever Trump gives a speech and refers to the fake news, they, lose, they just lose it. Because uh, the most important thing is that someone is uh, describing their profession in unflattering terms or the way they conduct themselves in their profession in unflattering terms. Uh, this... The, the same press that Trump accuses of fake news doesn't understand how it looks when they go around reporting on how Donald Trump is trying to destroy the First Amendment uh, by saying that he, because he criticizes the media. That's not destroying the First Amendment, right? More, but this is what the left also, they expose themselves here because they're used to having control over arguments and debate. They get to pick the language, they get to pick the parameters, they get to... Uh, influence so much of it before any exchange of ideas truly happens. They do not believe in a marketplace of ideas that is free and open and fair where people can choose one side or the other. They want the outcome to be predetermined. They expect a president to genuflect to the First Amendment with, re with respect to the media and its role in the First Amendment. And Donald Trump just won't genuflect to the media. It doesn't mean he's going to destroy the First Amendment. And I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't, like I can do anything about it, but we wouldn't, the American people wouldn't let him. No one's going to be okay. No, uh, none of the people that I know who are honest uh, Republicans and conservatives would stand by, would stand idly by while Donald Trump truly gutted the First Amendment. But we're also not going to be uh, shouted into pretending that he's gutting the First Amendment when he hasn't done anything. So there is that aspect of it. He also 
really outlined, there was a moment where he outlined his policy uh, very clearly or his approach to being the president when he said Trump, or rather when Trump gets a standing ovation, he says American citizens come first, will build a wall way ahead of schedule. Please play. The core conviction of our movement is that we are a nation that put and will put its own citizens first. You get the standing ovation here. You can hear the cheering. You can't see the standing ovation. For too long, we've traded away our jobs to other countries. So terrible. We've defended other nations' borders while leaving ours wide open. Anybody can come in. Oh, we're going to build the wall. Don't worry about it. We're building the wall. We're building the wall. In fact, it's going to start soon. Way ahead of schedule. Way ahead of schedule. Way ahead of schedule, he says. You also, I, I don't think we have this clip, but at one point, of course, Hillary came up and the crowd started chanting, lock her up, <laughs> lock her up. They haven't, they haven't forgotten, they haven't forgiven. Uh, lock her up for Hillary. No surprise there. Um, then went on to, to uh, talk a bit about the Middle East. And th- this is where some of us begin to, I, cringe is too strong, but just it's it's like watching your kid when he's or she's taking the training wheels off the bicycle for the first time, and you kind of give them that push. You know, you're proud and you're happy, but there's also part of it's like I don't know how this is gonna go. That's what it's like when Trump starts going into media's policy. At least for me, I'm like, oh no, here we go. This could be scary. So uh, let's just let's have the let's have uh, President Trump say it himself. Trump on the Middle East. If our presidents would have gone to the beach for 15 years, we would be in much better shape than we are right now. Please play. In the Middle East, we've spent as of four weeks ago six trillion dollars. Think of it. And by the way, the Middle East is in what? I mean, it's not even close. It's in much worse shape than it was 15 years ago. If our presidents would have gone to the beach for 15 years, we would be in much better shape than we are right now. That I can tell you. You know, he'll get no credit for this from the Bush-hating media. Because remember, the media hated Bush. They hated Bush. They didn't, now they pretend like, oh, if only we could have Bush again, we'd be so nice to him. No, they hated Bush. They said that Bush was a, an idiot, uh, a moron, a, a that just the constant assault on Bush's intellectual ability was uh, a defining characteristic of the way they car- the, the way they covered his presidency. They were all in unison and all in the belief that Bush was a moron, which, by the way, tells me a lot about the media because Bush is not a moron at all, and the idea that so many journalists would laugh and guffaw and think that that was such a, a an intelligent position to take, Bush is so dumb, Bush is so dumb, is really a much more acute commentary on their own insecurities and in many cases, I think, their own lack of intelligence as well. 
Um, but Bush on the middle. It's, it's interesting because he criticizes Bush or Trump criticizes Bush and will receive absolutely no credit for that from me. They won't say, oh, well, at least he's bipartisan in his criticism of U.S. presidents in the Middle East. No, they'll skip right over that. And they're still seething over his fake news comments. I should also note that the fake news comments wouldn't have any resonance if we if we didn't have numerous examples of fake news in recent months to point to that are all damaging the Trump administration that show that show shallow. What is that? That show a political bias at work. Um, they have given us plenty to work with here. And they're just not honest about it. All right. I want to hit a break a little earlier than usual because I want to come back and talk about the you got the, the two competing narratives for the story of the day. Once again, today. On the right, it's our president is speaking at CPAC, first time since Ronald Reagan that a president has spoken at CPAC. Big deal, big league, huge, all that stuff. That's on conservative outlets. On the left, it's the White House tried to get the FBI to spike the story about FBI investigation into Trump-Russia ties. Not really the way that it went down, though. And we'll get into that right after this break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. A tale of two media outlets here. This will really line up the difference in how reporters can approach this administration and their jobs very clearly for all of us, I think. CNN.com's version, and they were the, they this was an exclusive originally. CNN is telling us here that the FBI refused White House request to knock down recent Trump-Russia story. So the implication here in the, in the headline and then supported in the piece, it starts out, the FBI rejected a recent White House request to publicly knock down media reports about communications between Donald Trump's associates and Russians known to U.S. intelligence during the 2016 presidential campaign, according to multiple U.S. officials. Uh, okay, so that makes it sound like this is how it went down. 
Ryan's Priebus gets on the phone with the FBI guy. Hey, Ryan's Priebus, White House Chief of Staff here. You guys need to say that the media is lying on that story because we say so. And the FBI says, we will not because of the Constitution and Thomas Jefferson and Adam Smith and and stuff. And Ryan's Priebus is all, no, but we're Trump and we're evil and we're fascist. So you better just do what we say or else. And the FBI is like, no, Mr. President's Chief of Staff. I don't do the Potomac two-step. Sorry, I don't dance, you know, whatever. Something like that. That's what you're supposed to get from this. Tyrannical Trump administration tries to force the FBI to undercut hardworking journalists of America and the stories, they're, the truth they're telling about the Trump administration. As an aside, I hope that all those who are saying that Trump has illicit ties to Russia and is a criminal and a traitor... When these investigations are completed, and assuming they find nothing, and it is my belief and contention that they will find nothing to support those charges, I hope people will, if not apologize for asserting a conclusion without evidence, they will at least back off this a little bit. But we'll see. Uh, so, now, what really happened? What really happened with this whole story about reaching out to the FBI. Here's the Wall Street... I, I read to you from the CNN version of it. Here is the Wall Street Journal version of events. Reince Priebus sought FBI's help in refuting news report on Russian contacts. President Donald Trump criticizes law enforcement agency in a pair of morning Twitter posts. Uh, okay. So Reince sought the FBI's help in refuting news report. A very different headline. Here's how they tell it. A senior Trump aide asked officials at the Federal Bureau of Administration—sorry, oh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation—to publicly refute a news report on Russian contacts. The White House acknowledged Friday, adding that the conversation was initiated by the FBI, and that it was an appropriate reaction to what the administration described as inaccurate reporting. Last week, a senior FBI official told White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus that a New York Times report that the FBI was investigating contacts between the Trump campaign and Russian intelligence had been, quote, BS, a senior administ administration official said. So, Mr. Priebus asked the FBI official what could be done to correct reports that the administration considered uh, inaccurate, but was told by the FBI, we'd love to help, but we can't get into making, the position, uh, making position statements on every story. So in one case, you'll look at the different, a huge difference in the context and the feel and the background and everything. The facts are roughly the same, but the way they're presented is entirely different. On the one hand, you have the White House reaching out, using its influence, exerting whatever authority it has to try and force the FBI to undermine and discredit the New York Times report on the Trump administration and the FBI bravely withstood this assault from the White House. It's a CNN version. Wall Street Journal version is FBI guy reaches out to White House chief of staff, FBI senior official, says, hey, that story that the New York Times had was total crap. And White House says, well, gosh, can you like tell can we can we do something to explain that to people? Because right now they they because this is the only thing that the Russia anti Trumpers have to hang their hat on right now is all oh, the FBI is looking at the 
contacts between Russian officials. Remember, this is the Russian officials and Trump administration officials in contact. Trump administration says to them, okay, well, can you do something about this? FBI says, sorry, man, I I know it stinks, but we really can't get involved in refuting news reports. But just want to let you know that this is not true because this is obviously very inflammatory stuff and it's not real and you should know that. But we're going to step back on this one. Those are very different stories, aren't they? They they use the same facts. They use the same approach in terms of how they line up the timelines for them. Well, I shouldn't say they use the same facts because the there are some facts left out. The very basic underlying fact, the foundation of the story is roughly the same, but the house they build on top of it, totally different. After something like this, forget about everything else we know. How could any honest, truthful person say that there's not fake news? Explain that to me. I I, I just want to know. Why is one version of the story so different and why does it lack certain details, essential details, I might add, that the other has? It came Maybe came a little later? Okay, that's a, that's a fair defense that CNN could raise for this. But, but I then ask, why couldn't CNN try to verify those aspects of the story before running it? Wouldn't it be worthwhile to find out who initiated this conversation? Doesn't that in and of itself indicate who is trying to exert influence versus who is trying to respond to information they've been given from inside of the FBI. This is the sort of, this is the stuff that you see. And this is, and you think to yourself, this is why I just, I just want Trump to keep doing it. I want him to keep doing it. How is this ever going to change unless somebody punches the media in the nose like a shark that just keeps coming in for a bite? How are we going to get it to stop how are we going to get it to change? 888-900-3393. Shimon, how much time do I have here? We got to go to break. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. All right, Team Buck, we're back. And uh, we're joined by our friend Charles Cook. He is the editor for National Review Online and author of The Conservatarian Manifesto, available on Amazon and fine bookstores everywhere. Mr. Cook, thank you so much for hanging out with us on Friday. Thank you for having me. I should just warn you, I'm at CPAC, so it may be a little loud in the background. Oh, no, that's great. This is, listen, are you kidding me? You're like a de facto correspondent for the Freedom Hut for a moment here, Charles. Thank you very much for making some time for us. So since you're there, tell me, what was it like in the room when Trump gave the speech? Well, it was certainly enthusiastic. Uh, I am, as your no, not especially enthusiastic about Donald Trump, but the CPAC goers were, I suppose there was a little selection bias here, if you were a fan of Trump, you were willing to wait in the line, be patted down by the Secret Service and so forth. If you disliked him, you probably skipped it. Nevertheless, he uh, he got the reception he was looking for. There's no doubt about that. I see. Uh, anything in the speech stick out to you as indicative of policy changes to come in the near future? Or did you feel like it was just classic Trump? Just whatever that means to you, that's uh, what it was. was. It was classic Trump. The first 10, 12 minutes were a broadside against the media. Uh, the uh, theme then turned to America first in, in various ways. Uh, 
He spent some time on trade, which elicited cheers. Unusual for CPAC to see free trade being booed. Uh, but I think the, the movement is changing on that front. And then he praised the usual suspects, the police, the army, and so forth. The one thing that was missing, I think this was extremely interesting, given how it perhaps represents the only move that has united conservatism, was any mention of Neil Gorsuch or of SCOTUS. Uh, neither the court uh, nor his nominee uh, made it into the speech at all. I wonder why. Interesting, Charles. I think that's a good place to transition into your your latest piece, which I, I read and I would, uh, as I always do with Charles's pieces, recommend it to everybody on nationalreview.com right now. The Fourth Circuit runs roughshod over Heller and the Second Amendment. As decisions about firearms from appeals courts go, Charles, uh, looking, I, I read this one, I read your piece. This was about as wow, I guess we've learned nothing nothing since Heller as it can get. This was pretty astonishing. Yes, uh, it would have been better if this was a product of a lack of learning, but it is, in my view, the product of the Fourth Circuit's defiance of the Supreme Court and of a set of justices, many of whom, it has to be said, have been installed recently by Obama, uh, who deliberately played with words in order to reach a desired outcome. These are not stupid people. Uh, these are not internet warriors. Uh, these are fine judges with fine minds who knew precisely what they were doing. And what they were doing in this case was removing, in the states of Maryland, the Carolinas, and the Virginias, the protection of the Second Amendment from a whole host of weapons, including the most popular weapons in the country, uh, the AR-15 uh, model of rifle. And they do this because they say that these are military weapons, which is, is fascinating on many levels. It shows, one, no understanding of the actual mechanism of an AR-15. Uh, they don't understand or they don't seem to care to understand or apply semi-automatic as a principle with fire or as a, uh, as a mechanism for firearms. They don't seem to get that a, a rifle that just fires every time you pull the trigger is this is of the same lethality? All these different rifles that are semi-automatic are semi-automatic, and that is true throughout them. Uh, and there's also, as as you point out in your piece, they've ne the AR-15 has never been carried as a, as a standard issue weapon of of the United States military ever. Well, they play a game. They introduce a new test, and that test is that if a weapon is most useful in a military context, uh, then it can be set outside of the Second Amendment's ambit. That, of course, uh, is uh, not what Heller said. Um, for a start, Heller has a common use provision that the AR-15 clearly meets. Um, it also uh, is clear uh, on the question of how dangerous weapons must be treated, or especially dangerous weapons must be treated. The language is dangerous and unusual. Well, by definition, the AR-15 cannot be unusual when it's the most commonly bought rifle and, indeed, firearm in the United States. So they're factually wrong and they're legally wrong. The factual side's pretty embarrassing. Uh, the argument made by uh, the judge who penned the majority opinion is that the uh, AR-15 in semi-automatic uh, can fire 500 rounds per minute, uh, and that this therefore makes it similar uh, to the M16, which can fire 550, 600. That's false. Uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and the U.S. military set the rate at about uh, 30 uh, to 65 rounds per minute. Uh, the legal question is even more alarming because 
if you take the view, as the Fourth Circuit did, um, that Heller allows lower courts to exempt certain weapons from protection based on the premise that they are most useful in a military context, then there is no weapon in the United States that is safe because every weapon is most useful in a military context. A sword is most useful, a semi-automatic pistol, a revolver is most useful in a military context. Uh, and indeed, as the dissent points out, if you were to go back to the founding era, uh, you would therefore uh, be able to ban muskets under the Second Amendment because a musket was the only weapon that uh, your average colonist or uh, founder had. Uh, and uh, that weapon was, of course, most useful in a military context. Uh, you do the math. Uh, this was uh, a poke in the eye at the protections that Heller is supposed to confer. And I hope, although I'm not uh, entirely convinced that this will happen, that the Supreme Court steps in and, and slaps the Fourth Circuit down. I was going to ask, well, what are the next steps here? And uh, not to be flippant about it, Charles, but I, I feel like there are some folks within proximity to you that uh, should be pretty fired up about this. I know the the NRA has had uh, its senior most officials in attendance at CPAC. You know, can can you walk can you walk down the hallway there and tell somebody, hey, uh, do you guys see this? Can you do something about this? Because you should. I think there will. So be what a- comes next? I'm not actually asking you to do that, but what comes next? Well, you see, the, the one hope here for the Supreme Court is that the reasoning is so egregious and so offensive uh, to what will soon, I presume, uh, be a 5-4 majority in favor of Heller that they step in. Uh, what the Fourth Circuit did not do here was to say, look, of course these weapons are protected under the Second Amendment, but when we apply intermediate or strict scrutiny, the government nevertheless prevails. It did something quite different. Uh, unfortunately, when other courts have thumbed their noses at the uh, Heller decision, the Supreme Court has been reluctant to do anything about it. If you look back to about a year, a year and a half ago, just before Justice Scalia died, he and Justice Thomas were issuing, and it's unusual to see this, dissent from denial of cert. In other words, uh, the uh, NRA and other gun groups were appealing uh, the uh, unfortunate decisions of the lower courts. Uh, the Supreme Court was saying, no, we're not going to take that. And as part of the legal filings, uh, the, uh, uh, Justice Thomas and Justice Scalia uh, were objecting. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure that that's going to change, uh, because if Gorsuch is seated, which I hope he will be, the court will go back to the status quo ante. There will be you know, an, another good originalist judge in the place of a good originalist judge. It will be Gorsuch swapped in for Scalia. Um, I hope that this Fourth Circuit case was so egregious that the Supreme Court will take a different view, uh, but it hasn't thus far. So for many people uh, in Maryland who wanted relief from this law, uh, it looks bleak for the moment. Charles Cook is editor for National Review Online. Uh, check out his latest at nationalreview.com. Charles, before we let you go, just wondering, when Charles Cook is done with a long day at CPAC of, of reportage and uh, doing all the stuff that conservative uh, journalists, writers do down there. Uh, your choice at the your your first choice when saddling up next to fellow conservatives at the bar is what? What is Charles's drink of choice? Well, I got teased by this last night by Peter Suderman at Reason, but I actually like Sauvignon Blanc. I'm a wine drinker, so I would probably start with a nice chilled glass of white wine. If you move on to the hard stuff, though, what is what is the uh, what comes off the shelf? I would go for a gin and tonic or maybe a whiskey on the rocks. We've 
Black Label. All right. All right. See, it's a little bit of get to know Charles, everybody. Charles, thank you for joining. <laughs> Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. All right. <laughs> I love Charles, but every time when he says goodbye, it sounds like I've annoyed him. I'm not the only one who thinks so. And I think he's the greatest. He's a great writer and a great guy. But I just think he's always like, all right, dude, see you later. <laughs> In his British way. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So the most famous uh, transgender person in America uh, is Caitlyn Jenner. I think that's fair to say. Someone can disagree, but I think that's a fair statement. And she has a message for, I'm sorry, he has a message for Donald Trump. Play it. Finally, I have a message for President Trump from, well, one Republican to another. This is a disaster and you can still fix it. You made a promise to protect the LGBTQ community. Call me. Uh, why is this a disaster? Very interesting exchange last night um, on uh, Tucker Carlson tonight with a DNC operative, whatever, strategist, whatever you want to call him. Let me play some of this exchange for you. So, I mean, I, you know, I think there are two sides to every debate, including this one. What I, I was so struck by was your tweet where you and I'm reading it now. I woke up feeling so sick to my stomach about the Trump White House's attacks on vulnerable LGBT kids. These people are monsters. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, was Obama attacking vulnerable LGBT kids a year ago before putting this policy into place? He spent seven years as president and didn't do this. Was he a monster attacking LGBT kids during that time? Well... Here's why we can't, and I want to get back in this for a second. First of all, Tucker, if you haven't seen this, I, I think this may be the best debate that Tucker has had on the show. Um, because the, although I will also say this, the DNC guy who is on with him, uh, Zach Pet Petkinas, uh, doesn't make the left's case. He, because he's, he's pushed by Tucker on, first of all, this rule waited until seven and a half years into Obama's presidency to go into effect. It's not even a rule. It's guidance. So this is just Obama. This is the equivalent of the White House sharing its opinion on something, although there was an implied threat behind it of schools losing funding. So it's not really fair to say it's just guidance. It also had the credible threat of bureaucratic force behind it, but okay. But the first question, of course, and I, I agree, uh, this is how I would have let off. And I talked about this last night on radio before Tucker's show. Tucker's on at nine. I'm on six to nine. And you, you can go back. If you haven't, by the way, please download last night's uh, show. It's on iTunes. And you can uh, just you can subscribe to it, which is the best thing you can do. And you can even take a link on the subscribe and share it with somebody. And that would be amazing. Please spread what we are doing here in the Freedom Hut team. So uh, Tucker asks him, well, why is this? And they got away with this on on gay marriage because Obama was was traditional marriage candidate and then he switched and then it was like nothing bad ever happened. And other people who were for traditional marriage, even if they switched, they still had to be crucified. They still were disgusting and a disgrace. Obama, of course, not. 
all the other Democrat politicians, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, signing the Defense of Marriage Act, they're not disgraces. So you get a pass if you're a Democrat, but it's uh, a means of attack against everybody else. Completely intellectually dishonest, disgusting behavior from the Democrats. This is why I can't be a Democrat. It'd be so much easier to be a Democrat. I'd go to MSNBC, go to fancy parties, the Vanity Fair, and have a great time. Oh, he's ex-CIA, but he's all about transgender rights and bashing President Trump. Like, let's give him some fancy jobs. I know, Look, it would be better. I probably should, but, you know, I can't. I just can't. Uh, anyway, back to this debate with Tucker and this guy. And I'm not going to get through the full length or as deep into this as I want to. Uh, so we're going to have to come back to this in a little bit, I think. I'll have to put a pin in this. But so he starts out with this rule goes into effect and you act like this rule has been around forever. Um, as we had, we had Matt Walsh on the show yesterday. He said it very well. You know, they decided this like five minutes ago. And now anybody who doesn't agree with what they decided five minutes ago is as this DNC operative on tv says is a monster not needs a little more time will come around to the side of the angels or whatever no no is a monster monster that's what this guy says if you don't think that your 12 year old son or daughter let's just let's keep it a daughter so i can make the analogy you know straightforward if you don't think your 12 year old daughter should have to go into a locker room and change and and completely disrobe next to a 12-year-old boy who thinks he is a woman, which is, these are all statements of fact. You are a monster. And you even had Chris Cuomo over at CNN yesterday, who is among the least intellectually agile people in that network, which is saying something. You have him tweeting out that maybe it's the, because somebody asked him that question. Well, what, what do you say to a parent that doesn't want the 12-year-old daughter to see male genitalia in the girl's locker room? And that was the question posed to him publicly on Twitter. And his response was, maybe the problem is with the parents who should teach more tolerance to their kids. Oh, so now uh, now little kids should have to see the opposite sex's you know, private parts in the bathroom with them because of tolerance. You know what it is, really, everybody? I, I, and it's not fair to call this the stupidity on the left. It's fear. They're cowards. They know the progressive machine has made this decision, and they don't have the guts to stand up and say, this is insane. They won't do it. Not because they're too dumb, but because they're wimps. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We are joined by our friend Tom Rogan. He is a domestic and foreign policy writer at National Review and a contributor to the McLaughlin Group. And I've been seeing him making some excellent appearances on Brett Bear's uh, formidable panel on the uh, special report with uh, Brett Bear. So, Tom, congrats on all that. Sometimes you're hanging out with me in the night Freedom Hut uh, because I have the monitor on in there and I can see you, but I can't hear you on 
the Brett Bell show, uh, Brett Bear show, Brett oh, right. show, Brett Bear show. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, it must be a fun. Uh, it must be a cool show to do. Uh, how, you were uh, you were on earlier. What was it? Last week or uh, a couple of weeks ago? I think it was the last time I was on. But yeah, it's it's a yeah. lot of um, you know, it's a lot of fun to do, and everyone's very pleasant. The production crew very nice as well, and panelists uh, tend to be tend to be nice. So I'm you know it's which is not necessarily the case in, in media. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm enjoying it a lot and hopefully be able to keep doing it. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, everybody you. tells me that uh, that Brett is a, is a total pro and a gentleman, so that's cool, too. He's a very, very, uh, you know, kind man, very very much a gentleman. Um, and, so uh, uh, let's talk a bit about your latest piece. Or actually, before I ask about your latest piece, uh, CPAC, are you there or are you just chilling? Um, I actually did a panel yesterday with uh, John Schindler uh, on Russia, just the two of us. Um, but oh, our buddy Schindler. Okay, yeah. tell him. Wait, I, I should I should have him call in now. I, I, we've been saying we're going to do. You know what? We'll do on the night show. We'll do a whole hour with you and Rogan. I'll I will set this up soon. Um, if you don't mind, I mean, we'll have you guys on, or at least at least a couple of segments, a half hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but we got to do a UN Schindler because I want you both on at the same time to talk about this stuff. If you don't mind, give me some. John seems and and John is is very smart, but also really hates Trump. John seems convinced, from what I see of his writing recently, that tr- that, that that Trump is guilty of illegal collusion with Russia, or his senior aides are guilty of illegal collusion, and it's only a matter of time before we find this out. Is, is that what you guys are talking about? Tell me what's going on here. Well, I, you know, I don't want to put words in uh, John's mouth, but I mean, he, I think there is, he has a lot of concern. And, and quite frankly, I share some of it talking to uh, some, some people in Europe um, that, that, that there are sort of, I think, stories that, that will come out. That The question is, to what proximity do they have relationship with the president? Um, and of course, let's hope. Okay, so so that. forget forget about me asking. And you know, we we have Schindler on here all the time, so I'll I'll have him back on. And I didn't mean to ask you about what he, what he said. I did, I meant more just sort of the panel. Uh, but let's focus in on what you think. Uh, do you think that the president? Uh, when I say you think, do you think that there's evidence already that Donald Trump did something illegal or has illegal ties to Russia? Um, that there's really something to this beyond. I look. I would agree. Anyone who says that. He makes comments about Putin that are are weird and seem to be based in some ignorance of Putin. Hundred percent endorse and agree with that statement. Anyone who says that uh, there 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 could be policies that are too favorable towards the Kremlin that come out of this administration based on those statements, okay, I, I could that hasn't happened yet, but I could see that that is a concern. But then, of course, we could talk about Obama for eight years and that. But what I'm seeing are people saying that they believe that there were that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia and that and that he is uh, compromised deeply and to the point of betrayal by Russia. I don't see any evidence of that, Tom. If you see it or if you know somebody who's making that claim, what evidence are they pointing to? Well, you know, at, at present, uh, I think you're right to say that there's nothing in the in the public domain. But I suspect, um, you know, that what, what you are seeing on the part of the I mean, you've seen today the 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 White House was trying to put, get the FBI to back away from you know the idea that they're investigating officials for relationships with Russia. Now, th- those are people proximate to the president. I think there's good circumstantial evidence um, pointing at other evidence that will come out in in the next few weeks that those contexts were, to some degree, um, malevolent. Um, again, does that link to the president? But the the other issue I think here. Is twofold. What, what, to what degree is there a relationship uh, between um, the Trump organization uh, and illicit Russian finance? How long has that been going on for? 
and to question. Um, and I can tell you, the, you know, it, it is a question mark. I don't think there is, um, but, but it's, it's, you know, the wilderness of mirrors. There are enough mirrors reflecting the idea that not that we should say that Trump is in collusion, but that we would ask that there are questions to be asked about the, um, you know, the nature of some of his um, activities uh, in Russia, especially in the 1990s, early 2000s. So question marks, I would say question marks. The idea that he says um, that it's nothing, you know, it's all a big fake news thing. And then, the, you know, the hardline critics say, you know, um, you know it's, a, it's a matter of time. I think it may be a matter of time. I, I certainly think people in his uh, inner circle um, are, are going to have questions to answer in the coming weeks. Now, the question okay, is: so I, I think you've, you've you've given us a, a fair a fair sense of, of of what's out there and and how you assess what is out there. Uh, if if I may ask you, Tom, um, and and I'm only asking because I because I respect you and your opinion, but I want to know because I'm seeing uh, a lot of folks out there, especially on the national security side. Who who get really close to the line of making specific accusations against the administration, or rather, they make specific accusations without evidence, and then actually treat it as a foregone conclusion that they will find that evidence for the accusation later, which is really you know not how it's supposed to go. I will. What what does your and if you don't want to tell me what your gut tells you where this is going, that's fine. But I do have to ask the question: What do you really think in your gut we're going to find at the end of this? Where do you think? And I know you're not. This is not a statement of Tom Rogan is telling us this is a fact. But where do you think this is going? Like, what is plausible to you that Manafort is friends with some sketchy FSB guys, or that Manafort was talking to the FSB about how they were going to selectively leak Hillary's emails once they got access to Podesta, et cetera, et cetera? Do you do you think I, I that's think, plausible? I think I, I think I think it is likely that there will be people uh, linked to the Trump campaign who engaged in collusion with the Russian government uh, as to the electoral outcome. Now, the caveat to that is I don't think that. Frankly. Wow, you I believe don't. that? Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, I do. I do believe that, um, and um, I don't think it. I think Trump is right. It didn't actually affect the outcome, um, and you know I. It may be one of those. I think Trump, you know, the big thing with Trump is, right, you set the authority, set the gambit, you know, I'm here to win. Um, the degree to which there is specific connectivity with him. Uh, I think he was he's been ignorant as to the nature of uh, willfully ignorant to the nature of some of the funding that entered the Trump organization. Um, but in terms of the specific campaign collusion, um you know, I, I, I don't know. We will see it. But let me tell you this. That as but you, but, wait, but oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tom. But I, I do have I do have some questions here. I mean, I, I want to know why. You, why would the Trump? First of all, why would anybody engage in illegal activity with the Russians that that, that you admit and that I would I'd agree with this almost certainly did not change the electoral outcome? Are they are they so dumb and so reckless, meaning on the American side, that they would trust Russian intelligence to be their friends and allies in this? I I can't imagine that whether it's Paul Manafort or any of the other. I know there's at least three that their names keep uh, popping up here uh, that any of them wouldn't recognize that once the Russians have you compromised, especially if it's with something that could get you thrown in prison, they own you. But why do that for for what purpose if it's not? It, it, they can't really think that that's good. Or do you think that their calculation was that it would change 
the election, and so they're willing to roll the dice on that. But but that's pretty desperate. Well, again, here, look, we are talking, this is my assessment of what I, what I think is more likely. I think a couple of things. Number one, I think there's some very arrogant people, <clears throat> I apologize, who um, perhaps even thought that, you know, what they were doing in terms of conversations uh, were not uh, were not illegal. Uh, I think there were others who just assumed that it would not be uh, their activities in, you know, in terms of meetings would not be, you know, monitored. I mean, we even saw that with Flynn to a degree. Um so an arrogance, um, a sort of, you know, ignorance at the same time, um, but also the shared, I mean, it was pretty obvious behind the scenes that the Russians had a pathological hatred of Clinton uh, and that the, the Trump people, you know, very desperately wanted to win. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, politics just as in, in the same way that we see a lot of collusion between super PACs and campaigns in terms of funding, which I think is a real problem. Frankly, you know, I mean, it's a very serious problem. Um that, that you know, people do things that are bad if they think they can get away with it, and if they think okay, it's, okay, it's but it, is right, okay. Is there a point at which, though, Tom, if this investigation goes forward, is there a point at which you would admit you you'd be willing to concede uh, there's nothing here? How do, how would we get to that point? Because I also worry about the well, it's it's never going to be enough investigation yeah, of these yeah, ties, exactly. right? And so we're gonna have to hear about this for four or eight years. I think that's an important point, and I was actually going to caveat that. Look, look, if this, I think this is something that would come to a head, um, really to the point where it would force me. It, the only way I would say, you know, not, you know, reengage my concerns would, you know, that the reengagement of concerns would have to be a story, a huge, you know, story, you know, years down the road. But I think in the next six months, you know, this this should come, which is a lot of time, but you know, the, the complexity of this investigation. But let me tell you this, if, if, if we have, um, you know, an unequivocal statement, um, collective assessment, uh, if the Europeans, of course, because they have their own, you know, people remember the European intelligence service, the French and Germans love to spy on Americans in Europe, right? So there's, there are other, you know, forces at play here. If the collective assessment there is that no, no collusion, uh, I'll very happily say, listen, um, you, this is, you know, to some degree, you know, as doing opinion journalist, national security, your your, your job is to, um, or I see it as my job to, to make an assessment based on things. But I will say I was wrong. Um, I'm glad I'm wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I even to the point of, you know, probably offering some kind of, not that they necessarily would care about that, but uh, apology to, you know, I haven't mentioned specific names for this, for the fact that, you know, you, you are dealing. No, you haven't. And Tom, you haven't gone as far as others. And this is why I want to talk to you about it, because I know you have you have some instincts that there's something really wrong going on here. But you haven't gone to the at least I haven't seen it you know, in print, as I have with others, of important. saying this of saying that basically this is our, it's just a matter of time. It's a countdown until the Trump administration, you know, right. until Trump gets frog marched out of the White House in cuffs because he betrayed him. There are people who are really taking that as their line on this. And we're just and they already they assume that this will be found out. And to me, I'm like, that's a pretty big assumption. Well, and and also here, you know, I, I think my um you know, it, it, it's not just sort of gut instinct, right? You know, I, I try and, you know, you know, it's very hard to get people to go on the record with this for, for very many reasons. But but it's, you know, that, that you, you, you try and look into it. But, it, but at the same time here, um, you know, I, I hear you in the sense that, you know, it, it's calibrating emotion and, um, you know, objectivity, right? Trying to put, put emotion aside. Um, but, but you're right, there are a lot of people who... Um, 
you know, just expect that this is um, going to come to come to a crunch point. And I have to say as well, as someone who was deeply skeptical of uh, the president, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical of, you know, some of the stuff he, he says about, you know, free speech and the media, and but it doesn't concern me. It's not a threat to the republic. It's not a threat to journalists. It's not worth hyperbolic, you know, hyperventilation. But on, on other areas, I mean, you know, I have specific concerns about policy issues, but but as a conservative, when you talk about the deregulation effort, um, you know, especially uh, listening to business leaders, which President Obama pretended to do but never did, and the idea to push forwards on tax reform, on health care reform. I mean, these are really positive, constructive, and quite frankly, bold things for the country. I wish he would talk about entitlement reform, but, but it would be much better um, if, you know, if, Tom, if do you, do you wanna, I was wrong. I'm sorry, go ahead, finish up. No, I would say I would be much better. I would, I would love to be wrong, genuinely. Um, I don't, you know, you've got to be willing to be wrong. I mean, that's, you know that. I mean, you'd be making a sense. Yeah, of course. You well, know, and, and, but you have to have humility. Yeah, this is, this is why I'm, I'm troubled by people that are, that are putting the conclusion ahead of evidence here with what the Trump ties to Russia are. No, and and, and say, my gut tells me for, for a whole set of separate reasons that I just don't see this. For, for Donald Trump himself, a, a few lower level aides, did they take, you know, bags of money to subvert democracy in Ukraine or something? I don't know. Maybe. Fine. Look into that. But the, some of the stuff about how this means Trump is, is a traitor. That's where I that's where I start to say that just that just doesn't make any sense to me. But, Tom, I, I know we prom- we were going to bring you on and we brought you on to talk about your piece in National Review. We've kept you super long. Can you stay through the break? We'll talk about three uh, immediate priorities for McMaster. Or do you got to go? I understand either way. Absolutely. No, I'd love to stay through the break. Thank you. Okay. Tom's piece on nationalreview.com is three immediate priorities for McMaster. We're going to hit that right on the other side. Stay right with us. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. The offer of a... All right, team, we're back with Tom Rogan, National Review policy writer and contributor to McLaughlin Group. Uh, He's got a piece up about three immediate priorities for McMaster. Tom, I I know you're going to say yes because everyone who knows anything says yes. McMaster, uh, Mattis, these are excellent picks, uh, and and, uh, Kelly. These are excellent picks, very well regarded, highly regarded military men. Uh, What do you think are these three immediate priorities for McMaster? Yeah, very good. But one of the things that I mentioned in my piece, and frankly, I should have expanded on it a bit more, uh, is what uh, Jim Reese, a former Delta Force uh, Task Force commander, told me, which is that when you have McMaster as a three-star um, in the, uh, you know, as the primary, you know, assistant to the president for national security affairs, then you are dealing potentially with with bureaucra- bureaucratic pressures from the Joint Chiefs, who are four stars. Uh, in terms of essentially taking direction from him. So that's an odd situation that we'll have to pay heed to. Um, But in terms of the priorities, the ones I talk about are the idea that McMaster, because of the credibility that he has, you know, should take a trip to U.S. allies, especially in Europe, matters in NATO. It helps the president achieve his, uh, I would say, righteous agenda of making the Europeans pay more for defense, uh, but also consolidating them. Um, Beyond that, when we look at the um, process in the uh, the interagency process in national security affairs, there is relative chaos at the moment in the sense that people don't know who they're reporting to. They don't know if Bannon's in charge. They don't know uh, if Katie McFarland's in charge. They don't know if Trump is, you know, what does Trump, Trump want to know? I think McMaster needs to get back to grips with that, and he needs to sit down with the president and say, okay, sir, 
you know, what are the five big things that you want to be regularly briefed about? Because we know that Trump is not particularly interested in the minutiae of intelligence. Um, and, and so it's this idea, I think, of putting, um, putting a, a, you know, a, allowing the bureaucracy to function as best that it can, uh, because at the moment, you know, there is a dysfunction inherent in it. Um, and that is not good for, for anyone um, from the president down. Now, you think that this team will be able to work pretty well together. There's been a lot of back and forth about uh, Bannon on the NSC, and Bannon has, has gotten a, a lot of attention in the last few days for, I mean, you had Charles Krauthammer saying that he's the brains of the operation inside the White House, which uh, that's quite a statement to make. Um, do you think that these are personalities that will work together? I, I have a feeling that uh, the, having people of the stature of McMaster and Mattis uh, in their roles... These are people who can tell the administration what they think and can stand firm if they think the administration is wrong. I mean, someone like McManus, uh, like McMattis, <laughs> actually, that's like a superhero. You combine McMaster right, and Mattis. Right, right. McMattis. Um, anyway, uh, someone of Mattis's stature. Uh, I would be hard pressed even, I think, to find many normal run of the mill Trump supporters who would say, yeah, Mattis, you know, if he opposed Trump on, on a policy issue, they'd say, yeah, Mattis is a sellout. Trump should just do it. No. Mattis knows what he's talking about and is respected by everybody who knows who should be respected. Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing. And I think that has to be said, you know, we were talking obviously quite, well, I was sort of relatively critically um, about President Trump before, but I think he does deserve credit. Well, this is the thing I find very strange about him is that he does says these sort of erratic comments, but then he appoints people who are known for challenging whoever they're talking to. McMaster and Mattis is the two best examples. Um, and, and look, I think you're right. I think they bring credibility. They also bring loyalty to the president, which is important. Um, but they will. These are not people who are going to be kowtowed. Um, I think Trump knows that if he really went off the deep end, they, w- they would resign uh, before they, you know, jumped on a crazy bandwagon. And, and so that gives you confidence, hopefully, that, that Trump, you know, has, you know, that, that for his rhetoric perhaps is more targeted towards that, you know, get a good deal mentality that he talks about a lot rather than, you know, anything actually sort of too uh, odd. Tom Rogan has his latest pieces and all of his pieces up for National Review at nationalreview.com. Our friend Tom, thanks for hanging out with us this Friday afternoon. Come back soon, all right? Thanks. That was great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, man. Uh, Team, we got a break, and then we'll be back on the flip side. Stay with me. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, you probably heard me letting the the, uh, the actual uh, Freedom Hut squad that, that runs the show there for a second. I figure it's fine. You can hear a little behind the scenes. Why not? So uh, I'm going to play a little more of this Tucker interview. This was great. I mean, Tucker's show, isn't it amazing that that to bring real leftists on a show and engage in this kind of a debate, it, his people are, are hungry to see this happen, and this is why the show is doing so well. And also... Megyn Kelly wanted $20 million to stay at Fox News. She left, and her replacement is beating her from go in the ratings. That's pretty astonishing, really. Okay, Uh, so here we are. 
Tucker debating Zach Pet- Petkanas on the uh, LGBT bathroom student locker room issue. And we're just going to pick this up and I'll walk you through more of this. I mean, what we know is that he put these protect he put these protections in place. And let's be clear about what we're actually talking about. This is guidance that was provided to schools that schools wanted and asked for. And it is very it's for okay. very- that's very disingenuous. Uh, it's guidance because schools didn't want to get sued by people who take the Obama point of view that a man can decide or a boy can decide that he's a girl. And that's all that you have to do. But I want to move on from that because it gets better and more. This whole notion of the guidance, Tucker says the guidance is still out there. The the states can use it or not use it. It just doesn't mean the federal government is dictating this. And I I was surprised Tucker didn't bring up. He did a very good job in this interview, but I was surprised he didn't bring up that Obama threatened to withhold federal funds, school funds. So let boys use the girls locker room when they want to, or else you don't get money from the federal government for your school. Everyone in your district still has to pay federal taxes, of course, but you don't get money for your schools. That was the, that was the threat from Obama. I want to pick this up, though. Here's Tucker. The core question is what constitutes male and female. And the implication of these guidelines that Obama put in place is that a man is someone who says he's a man and a woman who's, is someone who says she's a woman. You get to decide your gender. You're, there's no biological anchor to sex anymore, it's all determined by the individual. So my obvious question for you is, how do I know if a person's male or female? Is there some other absolute standard that people have to meet to be male or female, other than what they... Think about that question for a second. It's a, it's a, not just a valid, and it is a necessary, it is an essential question in this discussion. So now gender, which they have separated artificially from sex meaning male or female, gender is a what? If it's a psychological construct, then it is whatever someone says it is. And the moment that you try to institute any, uh, because this is usually what would happen here, and and I'll let this other guy answer. His his answers are nonsense, by the way, not just because he's wrong, but he doesn't even take the, the real progressive line. The real progressive line on this is that Gender is a psychological and social construct. Therefore, also race is a psychological and social construct. And the way that you judge these things is because we're talking about a scale, you have to judge the sincerity of that psychological construct, which is more art than science. And they will have to concede that, but they'll say things like, well, if you're transitioning to female or to male or to female or whatever, you, you take hormone therapy and you dress a certain way and maybe you need a doctor's note from a psychiatrist, you know, they'll 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 put those little benchmarks into place, which are, of course, arbitrary, but they have to do that. And this guy doesn't even say that. He just says he just won't answer the question because unless you're willing to concede that, which, of course, is arbitrary and is also a, uh, is also a bad argument. It's not really an argument, but he's not even making that argument. He's just going to make he doesn't have an answer because the way he sets this up, this Democrat is, well, yeah, it's whatever you say it is. That's what has to be the answer. Here's how it goes. And what they say. One, one's gender identity is, is enough to show what gender they are. And so if you're okay. confused about that. So what does that what does that mean? One's gender identity is enough. to. Sh- so then it's literally just like I'm a female today. I'm a male tomorrow. How does how does he stop me from doing that? I mean, I leave that, you know, to your level of enlightenment. And and, uh, and what a snide little thing this guy says, by the way, to your level 
of enlightenment. Uh, I can tell this is when Tucker kind of cracks the knuckles and is like, oh, oh, for real, son? It's like that? Anyway, here's how it goes on. And, no, no, this is, it's not about enlightenment. Like it's, it, 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 it's not about moral status. This is a real question because there are all kinds of institutions in American life that function on a sex-segregated basis. Women's college, sports, both professional and amateur, prisons. And so you're telling me that I can play on a woman's sports team when I say I'm a woman. What we are, what we are saying is that... Notice no answer. The real progressive answer to that question that Tucker posed is yes. And it's already happening. But that has to be the answer. There cannot be a different answer. This is why there. This is why I, I won't do it. I'm not calling a he or she. I'm, I'm not, I, I won't do it. I will not comply. I just will not comply. Sorry. That in this guidance with public schools, which we're in, and the vulnerable kids that are there, that there are specific guidelines that these teachers and these supervisors and these principals asked for in how to create safe. Okay, but safe now you're going. This guy is just repeating non sequiturs and nonsense. What is that? Has nothing to Tucker asked a very specific question. And if you listen to my show last night, these are all the points that I was hitting. Uh, I'm not suggesting Tucker had like an earpiece in. I'm just saying that the, this is this is the argument. This is the crux of the argument. And this guy who is who's on national TV in front of about three million people can't make any rational defense of it because, well, one, he doesn't even really know what his own side's argument is. You're going back to the first question. You but, just but, said but a second ago but, but that, that, that is what we're, But that is what we're, that is what we're talking no. about. No, let me take you back three sentences. When you said gender identity is determined by the person who possesses it. That's mm -hmm. almost exactly what you said. Correct. And, and I'm saying there are massive implications of this that everyone is either too dumb or too embarrassed to explore. But let's do so now. If your sex is what you say it is, then what prevents me from playing on a women's field hockey team? What prevents me from getting convicted of a felony and demanding to go to a women's prison? And it's a real question. It's, it's, not, it's not a Why real question. Why is it not a real question? It's, it's, it's not a real question because it is pretty absurd. And there are no... Nope. Guy doesn't have an answer. It's a completely real question. This, uh, this guy is making a, com is a, making a clown of himself. Uh, this Zach Petkanas on TV. Pet Canis, um, making a cloud of himself, doesn't even know his own side's argument. He doesn't know any argument. He's just used to going out and spewing Democrat talking points and, and you know, gets clapped for by Democrats and Republicans are like, who is this moron? Doesn't even know his own side's argument. The answer to the question, if you believe that Caitlyn Jenner is a woman, if you believe that you should call her she, the answer to the question, can 14-year-old Bobby play on you know, uh, a lacrosse team. Well, yeah, play on a lacrosse team with a bunch of 14 year old girls because Bobby says he's a woman at 14. When I, I, I was lucky, you know, I'm lucky I had parents who cared about me and took care of me when I was 14. You know, lucky I didn't wander off and, uh, you know, get, get, get lost somewhere. I mean, you know, you're 14, tend not to, you know, no offense, 14 year olds, tend not to know too much about the world. Certainly not about your sexual identity and whether you think you're male or female. Usually you just go with what you are. But anyway, uh, the answer to the question can 14 year old Bobby play on a women's lacrosse team in high school? And by the way, should we clap for Bobby, who's playing on a women's sports team, when he inevitably dominates it and, and treat this like it's an accomplishment and all stand there and say, yay, Bobby, you're like running around, you know, annihilating all these women because you have testosterone levels that exceed theirs and musculature that exceeds theirs and are genetically, because of your XY chromosome, 
in a better place to do this overwhelmingly, not always, but overwhelmingly than all of the women. You know, yeah, we often say, yeah, he's a champion. He's great. I mean, she I'm sorry. She's a champion. She's great. That's what we're supposed to say. They've lost their minds. I mean, they really have lost the and this is great because it exposes to any normal right thinking. I don't mean right wing, just rational thinking American that the progressives are crazy. They have they're they're anti-science, they're anti-logic, and they're anti-facts on this one. And it just shows you the groupthink is so strong with them. All right, I've got to go into a break here, and uh, we've got a guest coming up, so I'll be right back in a few minutes, team. Stay with me. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, everybody, we got Kelsey Harkness with us now. She's a senior news producer at the Daily Signal and a contributor at the Federalist. Uh, uh, Kelsey, you're at CPAC. How's it going down there? Hey, Buck, it's great. I wish you were here. I thought maybe this would be the day I'd finally meet you in person. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like banned from CPAC, but it's a li- it's getting a little, no one's ever asked me to do anything at CPAC. I sort of sit around like, okay, I mean, I don't know. I've done some radio and some stuff and some things, but anyway, yeah, I agree with you. I, Matt Schlapp called into my nationally syndicated radio show earlier in the week. I'm like, hey, Matt, so you definitely know who I am. Good talk. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what's going on down there. Um, Pence vows to, ob- uh, to end Obamacare nightmare. VP Pence spoke last night. What did he say about Obamacare? Yeah, Obamacare has been probably the biggest policy agenda that's been on the ticket here at CPAC. Uh, Both Pence and Trump promised Americans that they were going to follow through and actually repeal and replace Obamacare, which for those who aren't following the news so closely, even some conservatives have some doubts. Just yesterday, a story came out that former House Speaker John Boehner uh, said he doesn't think it's going to happen. And so I think the fact that they responded very quickly and strongly to that message and uh, said this is this is really going to happen, I think, is assuring their conservative base here, who I, I'll say is responding very well to all of the all of the speakers today and particularly President Trump. I think it's also worth noting that the Obamacare nightmare is only set to get worse. Uh, you know, eventually when the employer <laughs> mandate would kick in uh, fully, this is what people I, I, I think lose sight of. Right now, it's really just. Uh, been particularly hard on people who were in the individual market, but it would expand beyond that. They've been holding it back because they realize that there are uh, there would be real consequences to people. But but I digress on that. Also, tell me about actually that's not a digression, Buck. That was right on topic. <laughs> Betsy DeVos confronts trans, uh, transgender controversy at CPAC. What's going on with this? I was just talking about the transgender stuff that Tucker was uh, debating last night on Fox. Yes, of course. Bathrooms are back. We can't seem to have a conference without talking about them. Uh, but but it was in the news this week with the DOJ and education departments deciding to rescind that uh, Obama administration transgender bathroom guidance. And it, what's interesting is 
that Betsy DeVos, you know, clearly she was speaking to a conservative base, the majority of whom strongly opposes these transgender bathroom laws. But even here, she sort of walked the line uh, between pulling these regulations back and and saying that she's going to uh, work with her department to protect all students from bullying, from discrimination. And I think it's important to note that that can and should be done. Uh, no matter who is in office. Uh, I, I think that's what gets uh, gets lost a lot when we talk about this issue is the fact that nobody wants transgender students to be bullied. Um, it's just uh, conservatives believe that this issue should be um, taken on at the local levels where people on the ground know the students involved and can figure out a customized solution that works for that student's that particular student and the rest of the student body. So, of course, Betsy DeVos was asked about it here. Um, and, and, and and it seemed like she, she wasn't uh, too excited to, to have that conversation, but it did get brought up. I mean, what happens tonight at CPAC, by the way, other than uh, interns having too many wine coolers when all the you know festivities begin? What, what is still on the schedule? <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I've I, been there before. I've just never been invited, but go ahead. Oh, well, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I've been running around all day and I haven't even looked at the schedule myself. I know Trump was the big ticket and usually the big keynote, keynote addresses happen in the evening. Last night uh, was Mike Pence. And I think a lot of the big uh, major speakers have, you know, we had Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway, who did a fabulous job. I thought yesterday I shared um, on my Facebook page a clip where she was talking about feminism and she uh, brought up this line from the movie when Harry met Sally, and she said, um, "When <laughs> for those who didn't watch, it's really worth replaying." But she was asked when she was in her twenties what her speaking fee is, and she had never been asked this before. And it was she was going to a conference to speak with a male, and uh, in the midst of not knowing how to respond, she turns and says, "I'll have what he's what he's having," which ended up being a significant sum of money. And she was kind of making the point to young conservative women to stand up for themselves. And uh, she, she was really push, pushing back on this notion of feminism that liberals are, are <laughs> so we saw come up at the Women's March. And I think she, she really connected with uh, the young female co- college students here, and she did a great job. It was disgraceful what the media did to DeVos. You know, for a few days, it probably still is the case if I went on Google, Betsy DeVos, Grizzly Bears was what came up on. That was if you typed in Betsy DeVos, Grizzly Bears would come up next because she's so dumb. She thinks that schools need, you know, okay, well, a school that needs a bear fence might actually also want to have a firearm on the premise. That That's not dumb, but the way that people ran with this, it became, oh, well, she's such an idiot. I'm like, no, she's a kindly billionaire who wants to help kids get a better education and, as you're telling me, wants to empower young women. That should be what comes up in Google. <laughs> yeah, so I think that the media's reaction to that Betsy DeVos comment is actually very symbolic of their reaction to the lar- larger Trump phenomenon, where the media doesn't understand that there are towns in this country that – and there are schools in this country that actually do need guns to protect themselves from bears because most of the journalists who are reporting on Betsy DeVos either live in New York City, uh, and live in D.C., these really urban areas. Uh, I, I, I would I would it would be interesting. Maybe I should do this for a report. Go around and ask the reporters whether or not they've ever traveled to some of the more rural places. In America, and yeah, I think, it would be a great story, uh, <laughs> Kelsey. We actually got it. We, we're running into a hard break here, but thank you for making some time with us at CPAC. Kelsey Harkness of the Daily Signal and the Federalist, everybody, and uh, team, uh, join me tonight, six to nine Eastern, on the night show, Buck Saxon with America Now, 
Until then, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.